You're listening to the Journey to Zero podcast, hosted by All Truck Zero. If you want to stay ahead of the game and find out more about the very latest green truck technology, or you're looking for hints and tips on how to decarbonize your own fleet, then this is the place for you. In this podcast, we'll be sitting down with the thought leaders who are guiding the way on the journey we're all on as we work to decarbonize the transport industry. Hello and welcome back to the Journey to Zero podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Richard Riley, who is from Element Energy. Um, and Richard has a wealth of knowledge in the area of low and zero emission vehicles. So I'm really excited to speak to him today. Um, he has a PhD in low emission vehicle technologies and he has advised a number of businesses in both public and private sector with Element Energy. So yeah, I'm very excited to speak to you, Richard. Um, so I'm just wondering, can you introduce yourself and, and what it is, like what your role is within Element Energy, please? Yes, thank you very much for having me. Um, so I'm senior principal consultant in the transport team at Element Energy. Um, so as you said, our transport team does a, a breadth of work across the kind of public private sector. Um, we're totally focused on kind of low carbon technologies. Everything we do is kind of focused on the road to net zero. Um, and that really defines the kind of the type of work we do, the projects that we're interested in. Um, so we do a lot of work supporting the public sector. So that's mostly kind of pathways to net zero, understanding what technology, policy, behavior change is needed to reach net zero. And then we also do a lot of work for the private sector, helping them understand their investment requirements um, to be on that pathway. Um, and we also kind of involve in quite a lot of work now bringing um, some of this technology to life. So supporting um, kind of trials of zero emission vehicles and infrastructure. So looking at new innovations um, and, you know, seeing how some of these technologies are going to work in the real world, making sure that, you know, it's cost effective for consumers, that it's easy to access, easy to use, and all of that kind of understanding from you know working on the street with people it's obviously brought into all of our modeling and policy work that sounds absolutely wonderful and i bet it's so interesting to see everything going net zero within element energy not just the vehicle side and how that all interlinks and, and things like that so i bet it's fascinating um yeah helping everyone go net zero in all industries so that must be yeah. a, a really exciting job to have yeah, so Element Energy covers, as you kind of alluded to, the whole economy. So we've got teams working in, in transport buildings, energy networks, industry, CCUS, um, and we kind of bring the link between all of these together. So obviously a lot of our work on transport with electric vehicles connects up to our team looking at energy networks and, and the impact on, on power generation. Um, so we've got all of those links and and that understanding across what's happening in every sector and and how you know decisions in industry or buildings is going to impact power and transport yeah that's amazing and i'm sure like you say that each one will affect one another so that that yeah absolutely fascinating um so i'm just wondering how did you sort of get into the low zero emission side of, of well vehicles and what drew you into that area yeah, so I did uh, environmental engineering as, as an undergrad. Um, so right from, you know, very start days of uni, I had kind of lectures on uh, impact of climate change emissions from, from industry and, and transport. Um, and, you know, I had, had a longer term interest from when I was a kid in, in cars. And so basically I just joined those two together when I decided to do PhD um, and then yeah I mean it was really no-brainer to come to Element Energy there are very few consultancies in the UK purely focused on the low carbon area there's lots of you know ones that do kind of transport consulting with a bit of low carbon but that's not not what I wanted to do um, and so I joined Element Energy in 2016 and yeah, since then, really seen the kind of low carbon agenda obviously accelerate hugely. 
Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I know you like touched on there about what the effects of climate change are. So can you sort of reiterate why it is so important that we all sort of strive to get to net zero? Yeah, so um, so we're seeing obviously the climate changing as, as we're producing more and more greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and we're seeing the knock-on effects of that around the world, you know, every day in the news through kind of extreme weather. So whether that be, you know, droughts, floodings, hurricanes, all these types of things. Um, and they clearly have a massive knock-on effect on, you know, the everyday lives of people, the supply chains, you know, access to food, access to, you know, housing, all these kind of knock-on impacts. Um, and, you know, the, the real concern is that we will kind of impact significant areas of the globe to the point where they are not a stable place to live. Um, that would then lead to kind of massive migrations of people away from those areas looking for kind of more stable regions to call home and you know as we've already seen with you know unrest in the middle east and and people trying to to move into europe that has huge kind of political knock-on impacts um becomes you know hugely contentious issue about sharing resources um and you know creates a huge amount of conflict um and that is just not the kind of future that you really want no absolutely not and i think it's interesting from your perspective really looking into the future and thinking about migration um and, and things like that not something i really considered so yeah a really really interesting perspective and something definitely does need to be done um so i'm just wondering what what is your sort of mission and what's your place in helping helping us tackle this i know one one person against the world is, is difficult but obviously there's so many people working towards this but what what is your place in this movement yeah so the when we produce greenhouse gas emissions they they stay in the atmosphere for a very long time you know co2 is probably around 400 plus years so you know everything we pollute now will be you know in the atmosphere in in 2050 when we're aiming for this net zero target what this means is if you can reduce some emissions today it's over time saves up a huge amount so if you don't pollute a ton of co2 in 2020 and you don't pollute it in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 you keep keep adding that up by the time you get to 2030 you've saved 10 tonnes of CO2. If you'd make the same action in 2030, you've only saved one tonne of CO2. And so acting early has this kind of cumulative positive benefit. Um, and so for me, the kind of the real mission is, you know, what, what can we achieve by 2030? You know, everything we do this decade has this enormous potential benefit afterwards and so we've kind of got this kind of split of two worlds where if we do nothing between now and 2030 the options you know the different future worlds that we can choose between in 2030 is quite limited you know you can choose between not very good bad and really bad if you act before 2030 you you can choose between good and and bad and um so, I mean, me personally, my mission is is really to see what radical change we can deliver before 2030 so that, you know, whoever is in power in 2030, you know, as new generations come in as, you know, voters and actors in society, that they have, you know, the same options of different futures in 2030 as we have today. And we're not, you know, taking away options from them. Um, so it's kind of, I guess, you know, fair to pass on to next generation the same opportunities that we had. Um, and so, yeah, through through all my work, try and think about, you know, not just that 2050 net zero target, but you know, what are we doing now? 
um, and that really is reflected in in the the most recent IPCC scenarios. So the IPCC sets out all the kind of science on climate change, brings together the kind of international um, consensus on what's needed, um, and they say we need to kind of half global emissions this decade. So, you know, whenever I'm thinking about policy technology, thinking about you know. Is it on that kind of scale? Are we talking about something that can half emissions in what we're we talking about eight years now? Um, and that very quickly simplifies a lot of conversations because a lot of things just get you know pushed to one side because they are not delivering at the scale and speed that we need to. Absolutely. And a, a, it was a really inspiring statement that if we do save, if we all do our little bit to save so much carbon at least we're making a positive impact now and as you say time is is of the essence we need to do it this decade um so coming back to to vehicles and commercial vehicles in particular obviously <laughs> hgvs are quite tricky to to become low and especially zero emission so i suppose with, with cars we have this solution there, there is electric but with trucks that's a little bit more difficult um, so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are with that. Are the government setting reasonable targets with the 2040 with HGVs and things like that? Or do you think we need to, to do more? Yeah, great question. So, um, so I mean, HGVs are about 16% of uh, UK domestic transport. So it's not a huge share, but it is, you know, quite a reasonable chunk. And um, unlike cars, the so cars have got this really broad range of options. You know, you can encourage people not to take a trip. You can encourage people to use the bus or walk or cycle, so some modal shift. You can encourage people to use low emission or zero emission vehicles. You can encourage people to ride share all these different kind of pathways to reduce emissions um obviously for hgvs you know you've got some options potentially to to use rail for some routes but for a large proportion of it you need to decarbonize the vehicle as quickly as possible so um yeah so the the uk government set out this target so for under 26 tons will stop selling polluting vehicles in 2035, over 26 tonnes in 2040. Um, so I think those targets, those targets are fine. They set a kind of end date and they begin to kind of focus the mind about what we need to achieve. Within those, those targets, you know, companies can still transition to that date in a number of different ways. So, you know, you could do absolutely nothing and then start buying only zero emission vehicles in 2040, you know, or you could ramp up very quickly through parts of your fleet that can decarbonize early and leave some more difficult bits till last. And those two different pathways have, you know, as I said, hugely different kind of cumulative emissions over time. So, I think those policy or statements are, are fine at setting the end goal. And what we now need to focus on is how do we get there in such a way that reduces emissions as, as quickly as possible. Um, and that's kind of what I see as the kind of key next step and something certainly we're beginning to work on is to break the fleet up. So we're currently doing interviews with about 30 or 40 different operators understand you know what are all the different vehicles in their fleet doing um and then we can start to say you know the first 10 percent could be go over to zero emission vehicles next year the next 10 percent can go in 2025 the next 10 percent can go a certain day after that and by um you know understanding what the vehicles need and understanding what's on the market, we can put those two pieces of information together and get the biggest chunk of, of vehicles decarbonized as quickly as possible. And that's the kind of key 
piece for this market. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And and as you noted as well, that some people are going to wait until 2040 and power diesel trucks as normal. Um, and that will have a have an effect still, um, as if they, you know, if they didn't do something today. And and I'm just wondering what you think about the options that are available out there today, such as, you know, we have the, the biodiesels in HVO um, and the fatty acid biodiesel, um, like sort of your biomethane and, and things like that. Do you think they have a part to play for getting lower emissions now, or do you think we should wait until the technology for zero emission becomes better? Yeah, great question. So um, I guess, thinking about the whole of the hgv market as one thing is is a bit difficult here so there's a major chunk of the market which could be electrified very quickly um and we're already beginning to see it you know ups has had electric trucks running in london for delivery routes for several years now um you know people like tesco's have said that you know all their vehicles doing home deliveries will be electric by 2028. Um, so there's big chunks of the market where there's no reason to wait um, and can go directly electric. Obviously, you know, there are other, other end of the market. We do have some 44 ton articulated trucks, you know, double shifted. So running all day, change driver, running all night. So, you know, just constantly in use. And for those options, it will be a while before there's a zero emission vehicle ready to work in that scenario. And so, you know, there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't use, um, you know, HVO or, or biomethane as a kind of stepping stone to deliver emission reductions before 2030 while the zero emission technology is kind of ramping up, you know, decisions are made about which is the winning technology infrastructure is being rolled out. You know, that, that's really good to know. And I think uh, nice for some people to know that they can make a difference tomorrow, really, if they wanted to put HVO in, in their truck, which is doing long haul, or like you say, 24 hour shifts, and they can't, that is an option to, to help cut down their emissions today. Um, so that, that's good to hear. Um, you mentioned a couple of operators there. I'm just wondering whether there are any other operators that are sort of leading this road to zero um, and any case studies that you might be able to share share with the listeners. Yeah, so as I said, I think UPS was probably one of the earliest adopters of battery electric vehicles. And there are you know, a range of case studies on the work they've done, both on the vehicles, but I think just as importantly on the infrastructure in their depot. So putting the charges in the depot, connecting to the grid, you know, increasing the size of their grid connection so that they had enough electricity to do the charging. Um, they've also had to go through a number of steps to be very smart about how they use their electricity to make sure they didn't pay too much for their grid connection. And so they, they've hit, you know, probably the three major challenges um, of kind of vehicles, charge points and grid that every operator is going to face. So looking at them uh, is an interesting kind of first indication of, of how this is all going to work. Um, then you might have seen that kind of Tesco's is, is going to be the first company in the UK to run battery electric Arctic trucks. So two 37-tonne Arctics coming in on a route in Wales. Um, so, you know, it's a relatively short kind of shuttle run which kind of makes sense as, a, as an early um, trial for electric trucks. But these are the type of things that, you know, operators are going to be wanting to watch out for, understanding the learnings, um, you know, see, you know, Tesco's will start with that short shuttle run in Wales. If that's successful, they'll go on, probably do longer routes um, and other operators will be able to learn from that and see, okay, that trial was successful this is is what we can see the technology is capable of doing today um, that will also be i guess supported through um, the government's zero emission freight trials so um, that started about six months ago um, so funding was given for the first year and um, so that will put vehicles 
on the road kind of over the next year or so there'll be another set of funding to cover kind of 20 23 24 and then we expect another set of funding covering 20 25 26 kind of time frame um and each of those sets of trials we hope will become more ambitious so they'll start with perhaps relatively simple routes smaller vehicles um, and very quickly expand and try and do the most difficult things um, and that will give the industry a really clear gauge on you know what's the limit of each technology what it can do um, when it's worth investing in it brilliant um and yeah with the the government trials i'm just wondering whether you could share your your thoughts on on the different technologies that that are you know be being um, tested in these trials because i know we have the the electric road systems with the sort of the overhead cantineries and pantographs and things and then there's hydrogen um as, as well which i know is being tested in the uk and also the battery electric vehicles and is, is there anything else that's being going on trial or and what do you think to those technologies yeah so those those three they are the kind of leading contenders um and you've got different groups pushing different ones so mm. you know think of kind of like tesla and that group pushing the kind of battery electric with stationary charging we've got um companies such as as volvo um involved with groups such as uh h2 accelerate which is kind of big european project uh looking at hydrogen for long haul um and then we've got other operators such as scania who have said you know they've trialed hydrogen they don't believe it's the future they're not going to have any hydrogen they're going to be looking at a battery electric or or electric road um and i guess this is this is the problem that the operators and government have is that you know if the oems and the research community can't agree then then how do they agree um but yeah i mean the kind of comparison across the three of them um you know the battery electric with stationary charging you know we're expecting to see kind of pretty significant cost reductions there driven by the kind of learnings of of the car market um battery design improvements um you know it's kind of simple we're learning a lot from the car market we know how to do it we know how to scale it up um but obviously the the major problem is the kind of range and flexibility you know if you want to double shift your vehicle you've got very little time to charge up the vehicle um also if you know if you're looking at a future with a lot of vehicle automation where the vehicle could be running more and more hours a day again you know you don't necessarily have the flexibility to charge the vehicle um that can kind compares with e-highways which is or the electric road system which is specifically designed to to hit that problem um so you're charging on the move and it gives you that kind of total flexibility um you don't have to wait to, to charge um so that has the kind of that main benefit the kind of drawback is um you need kind of quite high utilization of the infrastructure to get the costs down um, and that means everyone needs to buy in and agree on that as as the winner um and that's not just in the uk you know you would want multiple european countries to agree on that as a winner so that you can kind of move uh, across borders with that technology um and you know as we've seen with all large infrastructure projects getting that buy-in and commitment um within one country is really difficult across multiple countries is a massive challenge um and so i guess it comes with that risk that the ers works when it's complete and so operators need to be confident that the investment and the commitment is there to finish the network um you know you can't you can't do what the government's do done with the hs2 rail line and you know decide halfway through planning that actually we're just not going to do half the network um you need to finish the network um so you know e-highways very much feels like it requires strong government 
support but government push um, and um, kind of assurities. And then I guess the third one, hydrogen, you know, feels like it could be more of an industry-led uh, technology, very much mirrors the kind of market we have today. Um, so again, as, as ERS, you've got high flexibility because you can refuel very quickly. Um, but the, the major challenge of hydrogen is that unlike on the electric side where you might pay more for the vehicle, but you're paying very little for the electricity and therefore, you know, one balances the other. On the hydrogen side, you know, we're still a long way off the point where hydrogen is cheaper than diesel. So you're paying more for the vehicle. You also pay more for the fuel. Um, and so, you know, where's the, the cost saving or the cost balance coming for the operator? Um, and, you know, hydrogen has got to be produced. So it's either being produced from electricity or from natural gas with, with carbon capture and storage. And, you know, that is a hugely energy intensive process. So, you know, there's the question about where's that infrastructure coming from? Who's building all that infrastructure to supply the hydrogen? Um, so, you know, if it's green, hydrogen from green electricity we need you know a lot more wind turbines a lot more solar panels we already don't have enough of them to cover our existing electricity demand you know if it's blue with carbon capture and storage the uk has been trying to run a ccs trial for 10-15 years and it still hasn't happened so you know putting all your money behind blue hydrogen which relies on a technology that the UK has never managed to, to deliver. Again, you've got this risk that, you know, you build the stations and you, the vehicles come along. If that technology isn't ready, then you haven't actually delivered any decarbonisation. So, you know, there's really this uh, kind of very complex um, picture of having to bring together fuel supply infrastructure vehicles across the kind of whole energy market making sure that already at the same time in the same place at the right cost um, and it's not clear that any one of those three technologies is better at doing all of that than any of the others um, so i guess the way we're kind of ap approaching it at the moment in our current projects is to you know, we see battery electric vehicles working for a significant proportion of the market, both rigids and arctics. There are sections of the market doing relatively simple operations that could go battery electric today. And so pushing that market and as that technology improves, you know, expanding the market that those vehicles are going into. And that's delivering us emission savings as quickly as possible where we can so that's the kind of number one and then obviously supporting that you know we're involved with zero emission freight trials um you know we're constantly talking to to operators um and you know bring together all the evidence on these three different technologies trying to put together the clearest picture of of what the winner should be that's amazing, an absolutely wonderful overview of those three leading technologies. Um, and it seems like we've got a lot to learn over the, the next few years from these trials and, and your own research in, in these new technologies. So, so thank you ever so much for that. Um, so I think with any new technology, there's a lot of skepticism and a lot, lot of doubt whether it is going to work or and even whether it is better for the environment i'm just wondering what you could say to those people skeptical about these new technologies particularly battery electric vehicle which still i know people have concerns about charging it um you know the energy coming from fossil fuels and then recycling the battery at the end um but also with hydrogen and with e-highways i'm just wondering what what you'd say to those skeptics and whether there's anything that can settle people's concerns yeah, I mean, I think people really just need to look at what's happening in, in the car market today, what's happening in the electricity market today. So, I mean, just in terms of the energy side, so the, the, 
carbon intensity of the UK grid has fallen dramatically over the last five years. Um, the government this year, well, sorry, last year now, came out and said um, that they were going to decarbonize the UK grid by 2035. So you think, you know, a lot of these vehicles are going to be coming online late 2020s, early 2030s, at which point the UK grid will be very close to zero carbon. Um, so from that side, I don't, I don't see a kind of real problem. Um, in terms of the batteries, so um, we've now got um, kind of increasing number of, of regulations being debated about recycling of batteries from the automotive market. So there's a big piece of regulation being discussed in the EU, and I expect the UK will follow something very similar, which will say to the OEM, you know, over time, an increasing percentage of the battery that you put in a car must be recycled end of life. That very quickly ramps up, you know, into 90 plus percent of the content being recycled. Um, and actually, it makes huge, huge kind of economic sense as well, because, you know, we're seeing the price of nickel and cobalt and all these kind of battery uh, components going through the roof. So, you know, why would you not recycle them, have those materials back in your supply chain? Um, so I don't think there's kind of really any chance that you'll see an, an automotive battery end up in the bin. It's hugely valuable um, and regulation won't allow that. Um, and then in terms of actually making the vehicle. So, I mean, it's a trend, certainly in the car market that hasn't made it into the truck market, but I think it will over time of the OEM looking at the whole vehicle. So we've already got, uh, you know, car OEMs such as Polestar, such as VW, um, beginning to set out mission targets for the production of the vehicle and in some cases that's not just the production of their part of the vehicle that's across their whole supply chain so you know some of these uh, oems are so big you know people like vw they can say to their whole supply chain of all the parts that are going into their car we've got these targets if you want to supply to us you're going to have these targets too um, and so we're kind of very quickly looking at a world where that kind of pushes back down the supply chain and helps to clean each step of the process. And actually work we've done um, suggests that you can decarbonize the almost all of the production of a battery electric car, looking at, you know, increasing the cost to the consumer by hundreds of pounds. So, you know, in a world where people are willing to pay, you know, a thousand pounds for a better sound system or a couple of hundred quid for metallic paint or whatever that is, you can see it's well within the realms of possibility that that gets added into the price of the car without people really, you know, having a problem with it. And you've got a, a very low carbon car from production and, and use. And I think those trends will come, you know, will filter across the whole automotive market into the truck side as well. So I think there's a kind of three areas of the energy in the vehicle, the battery and, and the production of the rest of the vehicle. And I think the market is really showing that we're going to decarbonize all of those very quickly for the low emission vehicle options. That's amazing and a, and a really optimistic way of looking at everything because we will have renewable energy very soon. Um, batteries are going to be recycled and the whole production is going to be well, as low, low carbon as possible. And I think it's, it's really interesting that you did touch on there about the entire production being low or zero emission because uh, it's, you know, you look at the chucks and they sort of have like plastic wheels and plastic um, chairs with the upholstery and things. So I think it's interesting that you touch on there, mentioned Polestar um, about, you know, recycling materials for the interior of the truck and the whole production being net zero, like the, you know, factory, et cetera. So no, really, really interesting points there. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so just sort of moving on to, to operators who 
do want to make that change sort of tomorrow so um what would you suggest that they do is there any particular low-hanging fruit I know you mentioned there's many different operations and what what would you suggest would be the low-hanging fruit that operators can change today yeah so I think the first step is always having telematics and and looking at the data so um you know, a lot of operators already use telematic systems to track where their trucks are. Um, some of them perhaps purchase a relatively simple package that don't give as much information um, as it could. So, I mean, for me, with the, the first point is always get the data and understand, you know, where your vehicles are. And I guess that tells you two things, you know, how far do the vehicles need to travel in one go? And, and where are the vehicles? So, you know, for many operators, if it's kind of a very repetitive route, it immediately tells you where the infrastructure needs to go. Or if you've got, you know, multiple vehicles uh, crisscrossing all over the country, but kind of tend to, um, you know, have a few points where they regularly pass, you know, that's where your, your infrastructure is likely to be needed. So, um yeah so you understand what your trucks are doing and then start to kind of split your fleet up into what i guess the easiest ones is shorter distances back to base um then kind of we'll see over time oems offer vehicles with kind of longer longer range um so it's kind of keeping an eye on what products are coming out and then matching it up to your telematics data and say, okay, you know, the Volvo or the Scania of today does these vehicles, they're gonna release a new vehicle next year or the year after. Okay, that means we're now looking at a, at a broader range of vehicles. I think the other part of it in terms of the making the costs work, so, obviously for a battery electric vehicle it's a high upfront cost and then a lower running cost um and it's really about kind of making that running cost work for you so you know if you get a battery electric vehicle that's capable of doing 200 kilometers and you put it on a route of 100 kilometers a day clearly you're not making the fuel savings that you could be so it's matching the vehicle to the route as closely as possible and then using that vehicle as much as possible so that battery electric vehicle should be the first vehicle assigned to work each day to make sure that it is used you know every day the company is running that vehicle should be out and that means it's displacing more diesel saving more money um so you know we've talked to some operators about kind of double even triple shifting the battery electric vehicle so they might have a battery electric vehicle that only does 100 150 kilometers um but that vehicle will go out several times a day and so it means that actually that vehicle could be doing two or 300 kilometers each day massively increasing the amount of diesel it's displacing making the economics uh work so there is quite a kind of complicated playoff between you know the range of the vehicle you're buying what routes you're putting it on where you're putting your infrastructure to make that work um and so you know a lot of operators will be looking to partner with someone who's able to kind of go through all their telematics data start to pinpoint infrastructure locations um work out how the vehicle is working for them um, and so that will be you know a first step for many operators certainly you know tesco with their two electric trucks they didn't do that all themselves you know they've partnered to understand how the technology fits into their fleet yeah that that's wonderful so you suggest sort of working with a telematics company um or consultancy company such as yourself to help help them understand what their vehicles are doing and, and where they are that would be the first step yeah, yeah yeah definitely and um you know 
obviously the operator understands a lot about their fleet they understand you know how much diesel they're using they understand the kind of mix of routes they you know understand kind of how range tends to change uh, day to day but really seeing all of that data um both in terms of you know charts showing range requirements but also mapped you know seeing it on the map seeing where you're going where you're coming back to um you know easily brings it all to life and helps you to really picture what's going to work fantastic um so you mentioned infrastructure there and i know this has been a bit of an issue with with commercial vehicles so far that are battery electric because obviously most of the public infrastructure is is made for for cars um, and obviously HGVs and, and vans are substantially bigger. So do you think we're going to be seeing a change in that just we do in our, our normal fuel stations where we have a space for HGVs and a space for, for cars and vans? Do you think that we'll see that happen with electric charging points? Yeah, I think this is this is a really important first step. We need to very quickly start de-risking kind of access to infrastructure for all different vehicles. Um, so... I guess this we kind of split this into two. Um, so the kind of smaller trucks working in cities, if they're going to use public infrastructure, they're probably going to share the car infrastructure because you know we could be looking at car chargers, kind of CCS chargers going up to 350 kilowatts, which is plenty for a small truck. Um, and you know, there's going to be a lot more car charging across a city than there would ever be truck charging so it makes sense that they kind of piggyback onto that infrastructure and so yeah all the kind of access things you know is it in a multi-story car park um can the vehicle get in other spaces big enough all these type of things you know that infrastructure is being rolled out now so we need to be very clear about how that infrastructure is designed how we make sure that access in five years time for trucks isn't isn't hampered in any way and then obviously really big trucks are largely going to want infrastructure on the motorway network we already know from kind of all the news stories about driver shortages that the infrastructure for drivers on the motorway network is very poor and so you know what we really need is you know a planned response where we're looking at you know you know showers toilets places to eat refueling infrastructure and the plan should you know take all of those and start putting them in across the country together you know as a combined package um so you know we've seen this a bit in the car market i don't know if you've seen GridServe have opened their first charging location um and you know it's everything it's you know large number easy access bays high power charging for cars with you know really nice facilities for shopping eating everything all together and you know that is what what we need for the truck market um so yes it is it is difficult there are major challenges um you know, it just means we need to start planning early uh, to make sure it's done properly. Yeah, no, that that's brilliant. I'm really interested that you pointed out about having more facilities for for drivers as well, which obviously is is a, an issue at the moment. So, hopefully, with this this um revolution, I suppose we will will have more nicer places for drivers too, which would be fantastic. Um, so I'm just wondering for well for many people. Um, if they're wanting to sort of replace their, their trucks and vans and, and things like that, what would sort of be the most eco-friendly thing to do? Should they replace them straight away with a battery electric vehicle or should they try and run them to the end of life and get, you know, get the full usage of them? I think this is a tricky thing for, for many people, those who own the vehicles, contract hire, or, you know, rent all sorts of things of what should they do now? They want to make a difference, but should they keep running that vehicle to, to the end of term or end of life? Yeah, so... Certainly, we would never suggest, you know, scrapping a quite a young, you know, diesel vehicle. There is obviously a, a cutoff point. So, um, 
you know, once a vehicle gets to kind of 10 plus years old, you could scrap it and get an electric vehicle and overall your emissions would go down. Um, so, you know, we would suggest, you know, running a vehicle for a reasonable lifetime. Wouldn't suggest, you know, trying to keep it going into like, you know, 15, 16 years, but, you know, reasonable lifetime and then and then switch over. Obviously the main challenge is the operators who are running a vehicle at, you know, eight, nine, 10 years didn't buy that vehicle new. So, you know, if you are running an old vehicle, chances are you bought a secondhand vehicle and you have no option to buy a secondhand electric vehicle. So I think there'll be very few people in the situation of thinking, should I scrap this vehicle or should I go and buy a new electric vehicle? Because I think they're two different sets of consumers. Um, what we really need to do is, is get the big operators uh, to, to buy the electric vehicles now so that they become secondhand vehicles in time for you know, the, the other operators at, at the kind of older end of the market to buy them as soon as possible. That's fantastic. And it, I guess it's all a process and it will take take some time to, to get those, like you say, secondhand electric trucks out there. But um, I'm sure I'm sure it will happen. Um, but in the meantime, do you think that that Euro 6 trucks and well, maybe Euro 7, if that's coming out in, in the near future, will have a place um, in, in our society still? Or, do, you know, do you think we should be using alternative fuels straight away? Yes, I mean, Euro 6, Euro 7. Um really drives improvements in air quality so i mean we we definitely need the the introduction of euro 6 hugely improved the uh the emissions of air quality pollutants from the truck market and uh, you know in fact now a euro 6 diesel truck is cleaner than than a car um so that is hugely important because you know, air quality pollution in our cities has a huge impact on people's health um, and has a huge kind of knock-on cost across the economy. Um, so, you know, improving air quality is always worth doing. Every step we should take to do that. Um, alongside that, we need, obviously, to decarbonize at, at the same time. So I see them as kind of two slightly separate streams that we need to push ahead with, with both of them kind of simultaneously. Brilliant. No, that, that's really good to hear. Um, so coming on to the, the final couple of questions now, um, I'm just sort of wondering what you hope to see happen in, in the transport industry or even you know across all industries in the next 10 or 15 years to, to make that difference and, and what it is that we can we can all do to, to help with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, challenging question. Um, I think I think the biggest thing we're going to need is is a real kind of change in mindset. So, um, you know, at the moment, a lot of people kind of view decarbonisation as, you know, when it's affordable, when it's easy, when everyone else has done it, you know, I'll follow the kind of trend. I think that needs to be completely flipped. I think you know, every individual and operator needs to think, I am going to decarbonize. What are the steps that I need to take to start doing that? Um, and that will immediately start to kind of throw up some low hanging fruit and, and some actions that we can take quickly um, that would have been ignored, you know, if everyone just waits uh, until you know, it's the kind of done thing to do and, and follow the crowd. So I think where we see people doing that, you know, where people set themselves targets, where people really engage, um, we start to see things, you know, moving very quickly. Um, and, you know, it only takes a few kind of really big companies to do that. And suddenly a whole industry is kind of sitting up and going, this is clearly the direction of travel. Um, it can be, you know, if they can do it, we can do it. Uh, and so I guess, yeah, it's the kind of that kind of viewpoint of how you view the world. And then, 
you know the kind of inspiration that a, a few kind of leading organizations can have across the industry that kind of catalyzes everything to to accelerate amazing no thank you ever so much for that and i was wondering whether there's anything else you'd like to add or whether you could let people know where they, they can find you and element energy if they're looking for advice on on moving over to low emission vehicles or, or anything else low emission obviously you cover a lot um so yeah anything else you'd like to add yeah so i guess i guess just the final point uh, you know obviously we need action from everybody so we've talked a lot about what the operators need to do and operators might feel a bit kind of put upon that there's a lot of emphasis there but clearly you know everyone needs to act so we need the product coming from the oem and you know we've already seen the likes of volvo scania man set you know targets for selling zero emission vehicles you know most of them are about 10 percent sales in 2025 some are about 40 to 60 percent sales in 2030 um so they're going to ramp up the supply of vehicles very quickly because the other piece of the puzzle we haven't really talked about is government so government has set this kind of end date you know what's happening in 2035 or 2040 and they're doing some trials now but i think a lot of people feel that there isn't a kind of connected pathway from here to there um and actually, the role of government is to provide certainty, do some handholding and say, these are the steps, you know, year by year, this will be the policy. This is the expectation of industry. These are the steps we need to take um, so that people, you know, fleet operators looking at their fleet now can see that pathway and understand how do we go from here to there. Um, and I don't think government's done that yet. Um, and I think that's kind of a key kind of missing piece of, of the puzzle. Um, yeah, so as I said, uh, I work for, for Element Energy. You can find us kind of through through our website. Um, if you just type Element Energy into Google, we're, we're the top thing that comes, comes up on the list. Um, you can contact me directly. So um, I am at richard.riley at element-energy.co.uk um, really happy to kind of hear comments and feedback brilliant thank you ever so much for that and i'll pop the website and your email address as well in the in the show notes so that's fantastic thank you so so much for your time thank you very much